In a year that saw record highs and tragic lows for the National Women's Soccer League, the Washington spirit reigns supreme. We'll talk to their captain, Andy Sullivan, and look back on a season filled with both trauma and triumph. In Tokyo, the U.S. women's national team saw their Olympic journey conclude with a bronze medal. We look back on a games where America's closest rivals, Canada, emerged as a true global power. Meanwhile, in Mexico, interest in the domestic league continues to swell with packed stadiums to prove it. But will it all lead the national team back to a World Cup? This is Football Americas, women's soccer year in review. America's underway here on ESPN Plus. I'm Sebastian Salazar. I hope you're enjoying your holidays because as you can see, my usual co-host Hercules Gomez is doing just that. He is not with us tonight, but no worries because we're doing something a little bit different on this edition of the show, one of our final episodes of 2021. In fact, for the next hour or so, we're going to be looking back at the year that was across women's soccer. Now, that includes the National Women's Soccer League, Liga Mekis Femenil, and of course, the international game. Yes, we are coming out of an Olympic year, but we are also heading into World Cup qualifying for Australia 2023. Now, to accomplish all of this, we've got a great list of guests set up for you. But when it came down to who would be our first guest here on this special edition of Football Americas, there was only one name on the list, and that is Julie Foudy, our Olympic and World <laughs> Cup champion, and a person who has been with us since day one here on Football Americas. Julie, you know in our production meetings we can fight about almost everything, not about <laughs> who we were going to have on this show today and that you were going to be first. So thank Aww. you for all of your support throughout the year. Of course. I wouldn't miss it, Savvy. An hour special on women's soccer. Let's go. Let's go, indeed. We have so much to cover, but uh, let's start, I think, fittingly yeah. enough with the Olympics. Of course, Julie was there in Tokyo late July, early August. Now, the U.S. ended up on the medal podium, but with the bronze medal. After they beat Australia 4-3 in the bronze medal match, Canada gets gold, Sweden silver. The U.S., though, went into the tournament as really heavy favorites. Uh, yet in the end, they won just two of the six games played in Tokyo. So, Julie, here we are, about four months removed from the Olympics. Do we have any better sense at this point as to why this U.S. team <laughs> didn't reach their own lofty expectations? No, we don't, actually. When you when you ask players, as I have, or Vlatko Andonovsky, I said, okay, now that were months removed. What, what, what happened? And, um, you know, the one thing they talk about are the COVID restrictions and how hard that was on them to be so isolated, but they also consent that everyone was dealing with those same restrictions. But honestly, I think it had to do something to do with how concerned Vlad Kwandanovsky was with minutes and loads, because the games are so condensed at the Olympics. There's only two days rest. And he was, I think overly conscious of how many minutes each player had. And so every roster was six changes, five changes. There was no consistency, no chemistry, no confidence. Those are all things when you talk about the United States team that they are, and they just were none of that. To your mm. point, only two wins out of the six at the Olympics. And I think it had something to do with that consistency and lack of. 
Yeah, so the U.S., uh, after winning gold in 2004, 2008, 2012, now back-to-back Olympics where the Americans haven't won it all. You know, Julie, if we look back at the last global championship, the 2019 World Cup, the U.S. not only won that tournament, mm-hmm. they really kind of dominated, even even down the stretch against the better opponents. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a ton of games where you felt like, okay, the Americans have, have lost control. I, I think it was a, a pretty clear statement in that World Cup that the U.S., we're the best team in the world. Do, do we still feel that way as we think ahead to the World Cup coming up in 2023? Are the Americans still the favorites? No, I don't think so. And I think you're spot on there, Sebi. We walked away from that 2019 World Cup and it was like, whew, that was, mm. a, that was a performance by then. They went through all of Europe, in Europe, to do that in 2019. And now what you're seeing, obviously, post-Olympics and with so many players in their 30s on the roster, there's going to be a huge turnover, as there should be now. I don't think Vlad Kondinovsky could have made it um, before the Olympics with COVID. He didn't know that was going to hit. It was a tight turn with the World Cup. But now there absolutely has to be a a turnover in younger players. So I see this actually as a rebuilding phase for the United Mm. States. And... The United States come in, comes in, when was the last time this has ever happened, as an underdog almost going into this next World Cup? And although I think they're still ranked one, two in the world, um, I don't think they are the best team in the world right now. And I think a lot of players would probably say the same thing. So, Julie, if you got to rebuild this national team, you got to rebuild it with some stars. There are aging stars in the national team pool. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed here on Football Americas is we're talking a lot about the young players in this U.S. women's national team pool. A lot of the players that we see week in and week out getting the job done and then really excelling in the National Women's Soccer League. So uh, I'm going to make it tough on you, but if you could pick like one next breakout star for the U.S. women's national team, uh, is there a name at at the top of the list for you? Top of the list in terms of young is I think Trinity Rodman. We've seen what she's done immediately at 19 years old in her first season in the NWSL. I mean, she was fantastic this year, wins Rookie of the Year, helps lead her team to the title. Um, And we haven't seen her at the full women's national team level, but she has, and, and, and I hate doing this to a young player, right? Because we've seen this happen to so many young players over the years. Um, and you you heap all this pressure on them. But this is a player that has, but I'm going to do it. This is a player that has speed. She's got technical ability. Um, she can read the game. She can get in behind defenders. She can finish. She can assist. So she has all the elements. And I, and I think everyone, uh, including a lot of U.S. players, are excited to see her at that next level because she's ready and she looks ready already. Yeah, the uh, NWSL Rookie of the Year, Trinity Rodman, with a a great campaign for the Washington Spirit. Let's transition, Julie, a little bit to talk about the year that was in the National Women's Soccer League. Of course, it was a season marred by multiple abuse scandals involving coaches across the league. Uh, The allegations that probably got the most headlines were the allegations of sexual coercion against Paul Riley, now former coach of the North Carolina Courage. But in total... Five NWSL coaches, Julie, all men, stepped down this season amid claims of abuse or inappropriate behavior. Um, I know it's tough, but is there a way you can kind of sum up the the impact of these scandals Mm -hmm. on the league that is the NWSL? 
Well, I mean, the first thing you go to, I think, is just um, sadness for the personal toll um, that we've now read about. And Meg Lenahan's incredible story in The Athletic. And um, we've we've had, you know, uh, The Washington Post do some great stories. And uh, and and you're, there's anger, I think, second, about the lack of protections for these players, the lack of belief in what they were saying as players, how many years this has been going on, how coaches and Paul Riley get recycled through the system. And, and this isn't just a problem in women's soccer. This is a problem, I think, in sports. I think this is a problem largely in society. And <laughs> the silver lining, I guess, out of all of this is that there will be real changes and there will be players who have a voice in this league finally um, and will have a seat at the table and will be part of the decision-making and all these things and there will be protections in place and all these things that should have already been there. And it just, it gets you in that as a, as a former player, as now an owner with Angel City, that why does it take such personal toll before we are acting on these things and the institutions, whether it's U.S. soccer, NWSL, you go down the list, the owners, why aren't people acting? And that's what we need to get to as a society. And so I'm hopeful um, that there is a lot of positivity that comes out of a terrible episode and era for women's soccer. And that because the spotlight should be on these players, because you got tremendous role models that inspire a lot of young boys and girls. And that's where it should be. And I hope that's where we get to as a league. Julie, one of the teams that was impacted by this, the Washington Spirit, uh, their manager to start the season, Richie Burke, left amid allegations of verbal and emotional abuse and yet it was after he left the team that the spirit really turned things around they went on this amazing run and capped off a great season by winning the nwsl championship how'd they do it um because it was really an amazing run not just through the playoffs but really the end of the regular season yeah they actually didn't lose after getting rid of richie burke in mid-august sebby think about that So uh, amidst all the other turmoil happening, on top of that, Washington has to deal with this ownership turmoil. Steve Baldwin won't sell the team. Um, They've asked him. They had to actually stand up and publicly write a letter saying, please get rid of your stake in this team. Um, And so honestly, when you you hear from them, it's not surprising with the the great leadership they have in this group. I mean, you have a veteran base in Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet and Bledsoe. And then you have the younger players, like their captain, Andy Sullivan. And uh, and and so I think um, when you hear them talk, Andy Sullivan said it best. She said, we leaned into the chaos. Mm. Kelly O'Hara said, look, we controlled what we could control, and that's winning. And we did a lot of that. And, and they were a very tight unit. She said, this is an incredible group that has gone through so much, and I've never played with a team like this. And it showed. I mean, their ability to persevere through all of that and win it through all of that, that's something. Mm, a really special group that brought home a really special title to the Washington area, the Washington Spirit, then the 2021 NWSL champions. 2021, Julie, a year that will be remembered in women's soccer as both Tragic, but also as some of the things you discussed, they're uh, perhaps triumphant in some way as well. Julie, thanks as always for the time. Great to have you with us. Enjoy the holidays. Thanks, Abby. Happy holidays. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Our next guest here on Football America's Women's Soccer Year interview special is Andy Sullivan of the U.S. Women's National Team, the NWSL champion, Washington Spirit. And yes, Julie Foudy, yes, just for you, I will mention the Stanford Cardinal. That is where she played her college ball. Andy, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. So uh, plenty to discuss, Andy, when it comes to 2021 for you, both on the international stage and the club stage. Let's start with club. The Washington Spirit, right around the midway point of the year, you guys were kind of a, a mid-table team in the NWSL. What happened? How did you get that spark, that turnaround, to then go on that championship run? A lot happened um, to get us going there, but I think the team really came together um, through some tumultuous times, and was really able to be unified and keep things simple and bring this kind of anger and aggression and fight that we needed. And it was truly a special run at the end of the season. So it was nuts. Didn't see it coming, but definitely a, a good one. So let's talk a little bit about the final. There's a lot of big moments in any final, right, Andy? But from your perspective, there's one moment that I'm particularly focused on, and that is the penalty, okay? So you're down a goal, and suddenly you have a penalty with a chance to tie the game for your team. I can't imagine the pressure. Walk me through those moments, not just what you're thinking as you're putting the ball down and about to take the shot, but also the decision. Like, when was the decision made that Andy Sullivan was going to be the one to take that penalty? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like I had taken a couple penalties throughout the season um, and that I was just going for them and that it would kind of be mine to hand off. It was my choice. Um, and I just, as soon as the whistle blew, I knew it was going to be mine. Um, and I had, you know, I kind of ran through my routine. Unfortunately, it was not the best penalty. I got a little lucky, um, but I felt really confident taking it. And I guess that energy worked out somehow um and yeah went in the back of net and i was pretty bummed about it and you mentioned the tumultuous season where you're talking about what happened with the washington spirit and of course uh, your original manager richie burke is dismissed uh, mid-season amid allegations of of verbal abuse and emotional abuse and then after that we see the team go on on this incredible run in fact you don't lose on the field the only points you're deducted are for for covid 19 protocols uh, were those two things richie burke's dismissal and then the turnaround were they connected definitely um i think that that it obviously was a very like stressful time um and not something you would ever wish for or really wish upon anybody but i think um the interim staff did a fantastic job they were just really calming forces for everyone i think everyone felt safe and secure and able to voice things that they saw and we really were able to communicate better and play better and enjoy things a lot more and I think that really helped us throughout the season 
season, um, the second half of the season. And, um, yeah, I think they were definitely connected. What about the, the back and forth with ownership? Because that was also another huge part of the story of the Washington Spirit season. Uh, Steve Baldwin, the owner, and, and the players coming together to, to ask him to sell his share of the team. I wonder what those conversations were like, because it, it, it must have been quite something for all of the players to come together and, and agree on this action. Yeah, it obviously was also something not we would really want to do. Um, and it took a lot of thought and a lot of time for us to to get to that point. Um, and it was a lot of conversations and a lot of thinking things through. Um, and yeah, it was not easy or fun. Um, and it's still going on. There's a lot of uncertainty regarding our future. So we, it, we would love it to just be able to focus on our craft and on our game, but there's been a lot of things, um, off the field in our club and around the league that have needed our attention way more. Um, and it's been very necessary, but I'm looking forward to the day when we can really just focus on, on being pro players. Yeah. I mean, to that point, what was, what was 2021 like as a professional soccer player uh, in the NWSL with, with everything else that was happening off the field? Yeah, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't the most fun. Um, I think, sometimes you look back on hardship and you think like, Oh, it was all worth it. Um, for you know, the ultimate win and I would do it again. And I don't think I felt that way about, about this season. I don't think I would ask to go through it again for a championship. Um, and I wouldn't really want to put that on anyone else. So, mm. um, the experiences I had my with my teammates were amazing and I'm very grateful for them and thankful for them, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the easiest time. Um, I'm hoping with some more time and perspective, I can figure out all the lessons that I took from it more in the future. So Andy, let's talk about your development this year on the international level, because this is a strange year if I'm looking at it from your perspective. I see the, the beginning of the year and I, I can say, okay, here's a player that, that didn't make the Olympic team. Surely there must be some, some disappointment in that. But then I see a player who in the second half of the year not only got an opportunity, but seemed to seize the opportunity. So as you look back on the last 12 months, how do you classify the year that's been on the international stage for you? I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, definitely was disappointed to, to not make the Olympics. But at the same time, I just tried to say, well, what can I control the in this situation? And I could control my attitude and my effort in the NWSL and just try to focus on being the best player I could there to earn me another opportunity. Um, and it's so difficult to get an opportunity with the national team. And I was grateful to get another one. And like you said, I just wanted to seize it. And um, I think I, I did well in some of our games and that was a good feeling, but it's, it's just the beginning and it's, it's hard to get the opportunity, but it's even harder to keep the opportunity. So um, I'm really putting my energy and attention to there. What do you feel like is the next step for you in terms of evolution at the international level and maybe taking that, that next step? Is it, a, is it a job in the 18? Is it a starting job? Like, how do you see the next steps in your progress? <laughs> I don't know how I see it. Um, I'm hopeful that, yeah, you know, being 18 and eventually a starter, I really want to be a mainstay with the national team. That's my goal. Um, what that looks like, you can't map it out. You just have to be flexible and prepared to handle any situation and because um, it, it's going to be up and down. That's what every player who has been on the team for a long time, and I've talked with them about it, it's never going to get easier, and it's never going to be straightforward. So I've really appreciated their insight and advice, and I'm, I'm ready for the long haul. 
I wonder how much you think about the long haul and, and the next World Cup, right? It's 2023, it's in Australia. You know, what would it mean for you to represent the United States in a World Cup? It would mean everything. It's obviously been a goal of mine since I was very young. Um, and that is like my ultimate goal. And once I've set that, I kind of just break it down into smaller goals so I don't get overwhelmed. Um, so I don't start training tomorrow thinking like this session is going to make or break whether I make the World Cup or not. Um, I just break it down into smaller, more manageable goals. So um, I don't get too overwhelmed. And that way, the emotion of it can kind of be outside of my training. Andy Sullivan there, the uh, NWSL champion, Washington Spirit. What a year it was for you at both the club and the international level. Thanks so much for joining us here on Football Americas, Andy. We really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, you guys. Real quick, what's the easiest choice you can make? Window seat over middle? Beach vacation over camping? What about selling with Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Our next guest here on Football America's Women's Soccer Year in Review is Christina Alexander of ESPN Deportes. She joins us from our ESPN studios in Mexico City. Now, Christina uh, calls Liga MX Femenil Games on ESPN Deportes. She's also host of SportsCenter, so literally the perfect guest to discuss all things women's football in Mexico. Christina, welcome to Football America. It's great to have you. Sevi, I mean, perfect host as well to be able to, to talk about this. I know that you've been involved in women's soccer as well, and it's been really, really cool to see you out there as well in the action. And it's been just another great season that we've all been a, a part of. And just to be able to be in the excitement of what this business that's truly booming is, I mean, what can be better than that? Exactly. Let's just start with the domestic league, which is now, Christina, entering year five or the tail end of year five. So... You love Monterrey. Anybody who follows you on social media will see that uh, very quickly. So you're the perfect person to ask uh, this question to. Why does the region of Monterrey seem to dominate when it comes to Liga MX uh, Femenil? Before this season's final, there have been seven finals. Only one didn't feature either Tigres uh, or Rayadas, and especially Tigres, Cristina. They won more titles than anybody else. So why so dominant up in the north? I mean, that, that's a great question, Sabi. I think the short answer would be uh, money, honestly, because Rayadas and Tigres have a great just kind of economic background, and it's just something very typical of the region. I mean, it's also something that's reflected in uh, men's soccer at the moment, also with Rayados and Tigres. But the answer now with Tigres is definitely with their offense. They scored 52 goals in 17 games. I mean, that's insane. They have so many players up front that are just so special. Uh, the one off the top of my head is Katy Martinez, who actually scored uh, up to 12 goals. And she didn't score more, and she wasn't the maximum goal scorer of the season only because she got injured. So Alicia Cervantes from Guadalajara just kind of took the lead and scored 17 goals. But it's a great offense that this team has, a lot of elements up front, and they really just understand each other. It's one of those teams, Sebi, that, that I'm sure you've seen a lot in the past. That it's those kind of players that with their eyes closed, they definitely know where they are. It's a chemistry that's really difficult to replicate, even if you have 
all the money in the world. So mm. with Tigres, it's not only the great offense, but also the great defense, starting with Ceci Santiago, who's a killer goalkeeper. And she has only uh, had seven goals against her this season. So it's definitely something that Roberto Medina, the head coach, and it's just something that the message relayed towards these players is, I believe in you, let's keep competing, and the results speak for themselves, Sebs. Christina, let's go a little bit bigger picture, a, a little bit off the field. As we think about the, the second half of the first decade of Liga Mekis Femenil and what's coming up over the next five years, where do you see maybe the most obvious space for growth? I think uh, it's definitely something that the domestic league for, for the men uh, they need as well is more attention to the, towards their Mexican players. Now, uh, the good news is, is that the fact that they have foreign players now for the first time that we saw this season, it's going to give the league more attention. It's going to give the league uh, definitely more money. And so I think that step by step, this league needs to uh, just kind of not lose the focus on these Mexican players because uh, eventually that could help definitely in, in the national team's performance. Uh, but sticking to what the league is going to do in the next few years, what's already happened is that they created a league for uh, minor categories. I mean, we're talking about uh, youth uh, 17, under 17 players, uh, and it's definitely just a tournament that helps those players be able to truly dream with the possibility of wearing their team's favorite jersey and be able to actually represent them in a soccer field, which is definitely something brilliant. There's a lot of work to do, Sabi. Uh, they really just need a lot of patience to be able to uh, kind of really take care of the league, take care of their players. And also, I think the number one priority, what should be the number one priority, is to get those salaries up. Because mm. it's ridiculous that some of these players have to have two or three jobs just to get by. A lot of times we think about growth as kind of expansion, right? But there's already 18 teams in the top flight of Mexican women's football. There's only 12 here uh, in the National Women's Soccer League. Liga MX Femenil launches in 2017. And the immediate thought, Christina, when you see this is, okay, well, what's the impact going to be then on the national team? But then the Mexican women's national team goes and fails to qualify for the 2019 World Cup after having qualified for the two previous editions uh, of the World Cup. So yeah. we haven't really seen that impact yet of the league on the national team at the international uh, stage. What effect do you think that this league can or will have or has had uh, on the Mexican women's national team? Now, not only did they miss that 2019 World Cup, like you said, but also we didn't see Mexican representation uh, in the world and uh, actually the Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something of a goal. And I think the first change, which is really important, was having someone like Monica Vergara on the bench. Uh, she she recently started. She's someone who knows definitely what, what the Federation uh, means, what the Federation needs as well, and what these specific players really need. So that profile, as soon as she was announced, was kind of just really exciting. But, but to answer your question, and to go back uh, to what the league is, when that announcement came through, everybody had that idea, right? Oh, we're set. That, that's it. It's, it's going to be just uh, all uh, roses and rainbows from here on out because we have Mexican players, and since they're going to have experience,
experience in Mexican territory, then they're definitely going to be a part of, of the Mexican national team, which is the case little by little. And what I love to see, especially uh, in the last few call-ups, is that people are kind of like, no, we should have seen, I don't know, uh, Cynthia Peraza, for example, uh, of Santos. She should have been called up, or Itzel Gonzalez is so great. So there's more discussion every day. And speaking of Tigres and bringing it back to, to this uh, topic as well with the Mexican national team, uh, so I mean, the last time we saw a call-up, there were seven players from Tigres. So I mm. think that that's really something that in the future can really help. But we're still seeing, and as you know, uh, what, what the soccer program in the States uh, really means in general is that a lot of, of these Mexican players are getting their experience over there. But someone like Desire Monsivais is really excited that she can actually have an opportunity on her own soil to be able to eventually represent uh, the, Mexican, the Mexican national team. So that kind of enthusiasm and also with Monica Vergara, uh, she said that one of the, one of the most important important things which she has already shown is to be able to get those really difficult rivals and mm -hmm. I don't think I need to name anybody else but the US women's national team as a mm -hmm. rival to be the most difficult and they've already had that it was two games it was 4-0 back to back but that's part of the process you have to fail to be able to learn and to be able to go back to 2023 why not think about the next World Cup exactly let's think about the next World Cup we got World Cup qualifying coming up uh, in 2022. We've seen some really impressive results from Mexico in recent friendlies, but we know qualifying is it's a whole different world. Uh, so what are the expectations in Mexico around the Mexican women's national team? Is it kind of uh, make the World Cup or we're going to call it a fracaso? And then what are your expectations? Do you think they'll, they'll make it to 2023 in Australia? I mean, my, my personal expectations is to see the Mexican national team back on an international stage because I think that that's what these women really deserve. And there's really talent to be able to take them towards there. Uh, I don't know why we haven't seen some of the most important players in the league as part of the last few call-ups, but I think what Monica Vergara is doing and what she has said openly as well is that she hasn't found her best team yet. So I think that's the patience that this team needs at the moment to be able to just kind of like uh, really get used to each other but there's young talent and there's talent as well with a lot of experience. So I think it's a really beautiful combination that we can see and that she really just has to find that formula to explode in the next World Cup. But hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's, 20, it's 2021. I'm already thinking about 2023. Personally, I mean, of course, I hope to see the Mexican national team there, but there's still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I mean, there's a more expansive opportunity for uh, that ticket to the next World Cup. Uh, but for the moment, I mean, they just played Canada. The Mexican national team beat Canada, and then mm. they tied nil-nil. So uh, they're kind of seeing these results that they can really just kind of put in their pocket and be like, okay, we're, we're going to learn from this. Uh, they beat Argentina 6-1. So why not think of having those really complicated CONCACAF uh, rivals, especially with the U.S. women's national team, and just kind of, uh, you know, setting their ego aside, Isabi, and being like, yeah, you know what, we have a lot of work to do still, but the goal for the moment is a World Cup. I don't I wouldn't call it a fracaso if they don't mm -hmm. make it to the next World Cup because this is a project that's still really in the works. So World Cup qualifying for Mexico then begins in February. CONCACAF's tournament to decide who goes to the World Cup not until July. Christina Alexander, thank you so much for the time here on Football America. It's great to have you. We waited until December of 2021 <laughs> to get you on the show. We will bring I you back it. much, much quicker <laughs> in 2022. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Savi. I'm here whenever you guys need it. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Football Americas on Monday, the best of you got CONCACAF. I can only imagine, I can only imagine what that show might hold in store. I know this, Hercules Gomez will be back for that. It's next Monday right here on ESPN Plus where we will see you for the next edition of Football America. A leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm-hmm. like. Like, there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now, a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape, do you want to comment? 30 for 30 Podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clip. We reshot the scene, and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts.